Welcome to the sermon podcast of Old Bridge Baptist Church. Our mission at OBBC is to make disciples of Christ who connect with God, others, ministry, and the lost. We pray that the following sermon will encourage you in your walk with Christ today. Visit us on the web anytime at obb.church. According to usatoday.com, Americans were hit with a record 58.5 billion robocalls in 2019. 58.5 billion. 1.5 billion of them hit New Jersey. And I'm pretty sure a million of them hit my own personal cell phone. I don't know about you, but I, I hate robocalls. They seem to have a, a knack for calling at the worst times. Uh, they interrupt dinner or my conversations or my workflow. Uh, they disappoint me. I, I'm picking up my phone expecting a, a family member or a friend to be reaching out to me, and it's a robot that bothered to call me. Robocalls are, are so impersonal. You know, these companies, they dial a, a handful of numbers at one time just hoping that one unfortunate soul will pick up. Well, I can tell you that I was one of those unfortunate souls this week. I didn't recognize the number. I picked it up, and I heard the, the recorded message say, don't hang up the phone. <laughs> Guess what I did? <laughs> Click. Romans, the book of Romans, was not an impersonal robocall sent out to the masses. But sometimes I think we treat it that way. Even though Paul was writing to many people he had yet to even meet, the delivery of this message was far from an impersonal message. It was delivered in the context of real ministry relationships. Now, I think there, there are many potential pitfalls to studying the book of Romans in particular because it has such lofty theological ideas in it. I think one of the pitfalls is, is studying it merely to, to be able to hone your theological debating skills for your pet theological topic. Right? That's not what this is about. It, another pitfall might be studying it with an eye toward only encouraging yourself. A selfish study of the word. Or perhaps studying it and becoming puffed up with pride for all that you know. These are some of the potential pitfalls of, of, of studying this book, but I think it, it is helpful for us to not skim over these verses that introduce this, this letter to us. I think it helps us to realize that perhaps the greatest gospel presentation ever written down right here in the book of Romans was soaked in prayer, wrapped in love, and sent with power. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. First, this letter was, was soaked in prayer. Look at the first couple of verses here. Paul prays for the Romans in verses 8 through 10. Paul didn't just preach at them. He prayed for them. It's important. You know, it was customary in Greco-Roman culture to open a letter with this kind of a greeting of thanksgiving and even a, a, a word of, of customary prayer for them uh, uh, you know, that you're praying for them on their behalf. But Paul uses this custom to let the Romans know that he 
really has been praying for them. This isn't just a customary greeting for him. Kind of like, you know, how sometimes we start a letter with dear so-and-so, even if the person's not really dear to us, right? That's kind of a custom that we might have. It's kind of an older custom now. The, the Greco-Roman culture had a similar custom of greeting people in this way, but Paul really means it. He has really been praying for them. And what we see here in verse 8 is that first, Paul gives thanks for them. He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. You know, when you pray, it is not wrong to address your prayer to Jesus or even to the Holy Spirit. I, I don't believe that that's wrong to do that. However, Jesus taught us that it is a unique privilege of those who have been adopted through his name to pray to the Father. Jesus taught you to pray to the Father in his name and by the power of the Spirit. So it's not like you're leaving Jesus and the Spirit out. It's a Trinitarian act to pray. And Paul models that really well here. Jesus is the mediator and it is through him that he is giving thanks to God for the uh, the Romans. Paul, he prays in this way for the Romans, wisely leading his prayer with thanksgiving, not just because it was customary, but because there was faith that he saw, that he had heard about in, in them, regarding them, that really uh, caused him to rejoice. Paul gives thanks not... Uh, because, or he gives thanks because he has heard of their faith and not just him alone, but he says that the testimonies of their faith are being proclaimed in all the world. You know, when you walk truly by faith and you let your light shine for Jesus, God is able to magnify your testimony in surprising ways. And I, I would say if that's true individually, that God's able to take your individual testimony of faith and magnify it in surprising ways, so much more so is a, a, our corporate testimony as a church. God magnifies his name through his church. And it resounds to his glory all around the world. I, I'm always amazed when we have an event here at the church and you know it's the type of uh, event that, that your friends and family are more likely to ac actually accept an invitation to, to join you. And I'm amazed sometimes how, how big of a network each one of you has. Right? If, you were to, if, if we were to kind of dive into to your network, each person sitting here this morning, it would be staggering the num number of people that have an opportunity to, uh, to see a testimony of someone who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing. And like I said, some of you have really big networks and some of you even have networks around the world. Maybe this isn't even your country. You're from someplace else and, and you have a network that when you, when you testify, when you shine your light for Jesus, man, they see it on the other side of the world. It's incredible. That's the kind of thing that was happening here in the book of Romans. Paul hears of their faith, and he is encouraged, and he gives thanks. And I say, let our testimonies of faith ring out loud and clear. Right? May, may it ring out from Old Bridge Baptist Church loud and clear. Let our, our testimonies point to the insufficiency of man to save himself and the sufficiency of God to rescue and redeem 
sinners like us. Let that be our testimony. Let our testimony of faith sound out clearly in the midst of all the fear that's going on right now. Fear of pandemics and stock markets crashing and elections and wars and rumors of wars. Child of God, you have a reason to have confidence and faith in this culture. There is still a God in heaven who is alive and you know him by faith. So in giving thanks for what God is, is doing for the Romans, uh, apart from his own ministry here, you know, Paul's thanking God for what he sees that God's doing there, but Paul wasn't the one responsible for the church being planted in Rome, right? The, the gospel got there ahead of him. And he's hearing about it, and he's giving thanks to God for it. And I, I think in doing that, Paul is modeling here uh, humility and God-centered priorities, you know, Paul is genuinely rejoicing in the, the faith of others and not responding in a competitive way or a selfish way. He's delighting in what God's doing, even apart from him. Does the faith of others encourage you? Does it encourage you to hear what God is doing in other places around the world? Is, is it even on your radar to look up from your own life and look around and say, how else is God working? Not just in my own life, but how is he working in the lives of other people? Right? It's encouraging to look up from your own circumstances and see what God is doing. And I would encourage you to do that more. Well, Paul's not just giving a, a seminar here on theology to the Romans. He's ministering to real people whom he gives thanks for. And he sees that God is at work in the midst of the city of Rome, and he is thrilled. He gives thanks for them. And, and then in verses 9 through 10, Paul goes on to say, not only is he giving thanks for them, but he's praying for them. Again, this isn't just a matter of custom or a platitude. He is mentioning them. He says, God is my witness that I mention you without ceasing. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean that Paul is at every moment uttering a prayer for the, the Romans, right? This isn't <laughs> something he's constantly babbling in the background, right? That's not what he means by this. What he means is that he's praying for the Romans in a regular way, regular, ongoing way. I am so thankful for faithful prayer warriors who, who pray for me on a regular basis. Isn't that encouraging to know that someone, hey, that you're on someone's prayer list, Let's pray in, in that way as well. Pray without ceasing, giving thanks and mentioning other people in, in, in your prayers, especially first on your prayer list should be your own church. Give thanks for what you see God doing here and, and mention our church in your prayers on a regular basis. We need your prayers. Now, I, I'm sure as Paul was making mention of the Romans in, in his prayers, that that probably looked a lot like some of the other prayers we read in, in the letters of Paul where he is uh, lifting up the church and asking that God might grow them in their faith and you know, asking that they might be anchored in gospel hope and rooted in the love of God for them in Christ Jesus, praying these sorts of prayers that they would grow in their faith, hope, and love. But the one prayer request that Paul mentions, right? he mentions one specifically, he says, 
that he's been asking that somehow, by God's will, he might at last succeed in coming to visit them. Paul's obviously been, had, had made plans in the past to come visit them, and those plans had been frustrated for one reason or another. In fact, if you look at verse 13, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. Right? So Paul's been planning to come see them, but he's been unable to do it to this, thus far in his ministry. And, you know, the reason that he, he identifies for why he has not been able to come is simply because it's not, hasn't, obviously it hasn't been God's will. I think this is kind of instructive for us in, in non-moral decision-making. Right? We always want to know what is God's will in this situation. Right? And, and if there is a, a clear moral teaching on that, then you know God's will and you, you do what's right. right. But if there's no clear moral teaching on it, like should I go to this city or should I go to that city next, right? there's no specific directive, then you do what Paul did. You, you pray and then you get up off your knees and in and, and the, the leading, hopefully, of the, the Holy Spirit and with the wisdom that God gives you, you make a decision. You make plans. And you trust that God is sovereign and that He is able, He is able to frustrate your plans. Right? If, if it's not God's will, I've prayed about this and I've thought about it, I've, I've, I've sought wisdom in this decision, and you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in this course and trust God as I do it. That's what Paul models here. And, and apparently, there were times when the Apostle Paul did that. He prayed about it. He made a plan to come see them in Rome, and God frustrated it. And he said, you know what? Must not have been God's will. Right? I think that's an, an excellent uh, example to us as we pray through different decisions, non-moral decisions that we need to make in our life. We can pray, we can plan, and we should really do both in that order. Pray, and then plan, and then trust God. Bottom line for this point here, this first point, the greatest gospel presentation ever written down here in the book of Romans was soaked in prayer for those who would receive it. Paul hears of their faith, he give, gives thanks for them, and he prays for them. Specifically, he prays to, to be able to get in on the action of what God's so clearly doing among them. I really think that this desire that Paul shows here to, you know, he's hearing about what's going on with the Romans, and he's praying, asking, God, please let me go there. I want to get in on what you're doing in the city of Rome. I want to, I want to preach the gospel there. I, I don't think that kind of prayer, that kind of desire is something that's just for apostles or missionaries or pastors. And this is for all of us. We should all be encouraged and thankful for the faith we see in others. We should all be praying that God would allow us to, to take part in ministering to those in whom He's freshly stirring in. Right? We should all be praying that, that by God's will we can get in on the action of what God's doing right here in central New Jersey. God is at work. And so I want to just challenge you as we enter into this 
the study of the book of Romans, in order to avoid some of the pitfalls that I highlighted at the beginning of the sermon, I want to challenge you to, uh, to really identify um, someone specific that God might have you to pray for. Identify someone specific uh, that God might have you to even share the gospel with by the end of our study together. I, want, I hope you take that seriously. Like, maybe if you're, you're used to praying for the people in your family who don't yet know Christ, that's good, but let me challenge you to think even outside of your own family. Think of someone else you know that you are going to begin to pray for in this way. And also let me challenge you to, to continue to pray for our church. The, the context of Romans is written by one who is yearning to share in what God is doing in Rome. And I, would, I want you to know that the ministry here at OBBC is a place where you can get in on the action of what God's doing right here, right now. And, you know, I, I dream of a, of a day when everyone here is vitally involved in the ministry. You know, pastors and, and elders and, and deacons are not supposed to do all the work, right? Uh, we are tasked with equipping the saints to do the work along with us, and that's you. And, and we need you. And there are so many of you that do already serve so faithfully, uh, but there's always room for more servants here. So this gospel in, in Romans was, one, soaked in prayer. Two, it was wrapped in love. Verses 11 and 12. Paul says in verse 11 that the reason why he's praying for the Romans in this way is, uh, quote, he says, for I long to see you. I long to see you. Paul was eagerly praying that God would let him come to minister in Rome. Uh, but make no mistake, he, he wasn't just looking to gain notches on his belt. He's not just viewing the Romans as uh, through this lens of ministry ambition. He wants to know them. He longs to see them. And even though he doesn't really come right out here and use the word love, I believe that, that this longing to see them demonstrates Christ-like love for the people of God. Demonstrates a, a Christ-like love for the people of God. I don't know about you, but I, often, I don't often long for someone I've never met. Isn't that kind of a strange way to say this? Like, I'm longing to see you. I've never met you, Paul. Right? How, how is it that Paul can long to see a people that he doesn't even know? I long to see my family or my old friends. Uh, but, but to write to, to a whole region of people, some of whom I, I, I don't even know, and to say, hey, I long to see you, I think that demonstrates a Christ-like love for the people of God. Man, if, if, if something happens to me, uh, you know, and I'm not able someday to, to come and gather with the people of God in a gathering like this, man, I hope they can wheel me in on a, on a cart, right, and prop me up in the back corner, right? I want to be here with God's people, right? That's the kind of heart that Paul has uh, when he hears that there's a church growing in Rome, he wants to know them. He longs to see them. 
When you love God, you long for and love God's people. And out of this longing of love for them, Paul expresses a desire not to come into town and be served by them primarily. No, he says he longs to see them so that he might impart to them some spiritual gift in order that they might be strengthened. I don't think this is some sort of spiritual gift like that, you know, we talk about spiritual gifts like do you have the gift of hospitality or the, are you a pastor or are you an administrator or what is your spiritual gift? We often talk about that kind of thing and I don't think that's what Paul means here by wanting to impart to them some spiritual gift. Paul is not the distributor of spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit does that. Right? So he's not talking about blowing into town and giving them spiritual gifts as if he were the Holy Spirit. I think what he means is that he longs to minister to them spiritually. Paul was not a wealthy man. He was a tent maker, a missionary, right? And he wasn't, when he would come into a town, he wouldn't have much financially to share with other people. But he had great spiritual gifts to give to, for the strengthening of the church. And he longed to give it. And I think that the chief spiritual gift that he longs to share in Rome is the gospel itself. And, and notice the, the humility here. Paul recognizes, I think this is his desire, is to, to serve them and to give something to them. That's his stated desire, but he also recognizes his need for the ministry of the body of Christ in his own life, right? And he's not here putting his hand out asking for physical gifts. It says here that, that they too have the Spirit of God in them and that they too have something to offer him. In other words, Paul's not looking down on them as if they had nothing to give, but in love, uh, he's eager to give to them, and in turn, he recognizes they, they can minister back to him. You know, if you are in the faith, it, if you are full of the Spirit of God, then you have something to offer other people in the body of Christ. Be encouraged by that. Even to minister to someone like an Apostle Paul, right? The Spirit, if the Spirit is in you, then He has gifted you to minister to others. You may not know the ways in which your faith might strengthen and encourage someone else. And in turn, you need that same strengthening ministry from other people. You need the body of Christ. You need Paul's speaking into your life. You can't do this Christian life on your own. One pastor, Kent Hughes, he said it this way, Paul knew that very few things will strengthen an older believer's faith more than the vibrant faith of a new believer. On the flip side, there's little that will benefit a new believer more than exposure to the mature faith of a more experienced brother or sister in Christ. You know, this past Thursday, I was, for some reason, feeling really low. Uh, faith was feeling weak and feeling anxious about a lot of different things. Um, and then that night, man, I had to, it was one of my tasks to lead my, my weekly connect group. And the last thing I felt like doing was having people into my home. I just wanted to be alone. You ever had a day like that? Don't look at me like that. 
That's how I, w- I was feeling. And, and then my connect group came over. And let me tell you, they, they encouraged me. I was there as the pastor to minister to them. This is my connect group. You're in my home. But they came into my home and they, they encouraged me and, and, and built me up. And they, they may not have even realized it. They bolstered my faith and put flesh and bones of love on the gospel that we all embrace together. It's the body of Christ, right? And I hope that in turn, I was able to minister to and encourage them by the power of the Spirit. I love it. What a gift is the body of Christ. You know, we can know the book of Romans inside out. We can know the theological ins and outs of this gospel that we speak about week in and week out. But if we have not love, perhaps we've misunderstood it. So as we dive into this letter, let's remember these things. Let's remember that this gospel was soaked in prayer for one another and it was wrapped in love. And then lastly, I just want to emphasize that it was sent with power. Maybe another way that I thought about expressing this point was that it was sent with confidence. Sent with confidence in the power of God. Paul goes on to share with uh, the folks in Rome that another reason he longs to see them is that he might reap some harvest among them as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. In fact, as the apostle to the Gentiles, Paul felt obligated to preach it to as many people as possible, including Greeks. And by that he means those who were more cultured and maybe more wealthy and educated and could speak Greek and knew the, the, the Greek culture. But he also says that he feels obligated to preach it to the barbarians. It's kind of a funny word, isn't it? Barbarians referred to those who were less educated in the day, those who were probably even poor and unfamiliar with the the Greek language and culture. Kind of summarizes that in the next statement here. He he says uh, that he feels obligated to preach it both to the wise and to the foolish. The gospel's for everyone. He feels under obligation to all men. And this imagery of reaping a harvest among them undoubtedly refers to new people putting their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and being saved. It was Paul's eager expectation that he would reap a harvest in Rome. Why? Why did he have that expectation? There's no hint of confidence here in himself as if the harvest will be reaped because he knows he's such a wonderful public speaker, or that by the force of his personality or his charisma that he can bring people into the kingdom of God, or even by his own example, that people will look at him and how he lives his life and fall down on their faces and worship the holy God. No, none of that. Paul's confidence is in the power of God that he knows is unleashed by the preaching of God's good news, God's gospel. And I think when you have a confidence in the gospel like that, you become eager to unleash it. 
Even when you feel weak, maybe especially when you feel weak, because sometimes our own strength just gets in the way. And Paul knows by experience that if he labors in, in preaching the gospel, if he, he shares it with people, if he opens his mouth and tells people about Jesus' death on the cross for them, that Christ died for your sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried in the ground for three days and that he rose again on the third day in victory over death. And that through faith in him, you can be saved. Through faith! Not by works, but through faith in him. There is power in that message. Apart from, from any eloquence of any man or any, anything else. You know, God sometimes speaks through donkeys, right? And if you read the Old Testament... God's able to speak through anyone. There is spiritual power in the gospel and Paul is eager to preach it to them that he might reap a harvest. He has a a humble confidence, not in himself, but in, in God who accompanies this bold proclamation. We ought to know this gospel inside and out that we might be saved by it ourselves first and foremost but then we need to know this gospel inside and out that we might not be ashamed of it that we might be able to boldly actually proclaim it open our mouths and proclaim it and even be willing to suffer shame and ridicule for speaking it is the gospel that precious to you you'd be willing to suffer for it And by the way, when I I say that this letter was sent in power, I mean that Paul didn't just pray and love these people. He actually spent time talking about the gospel message. You know, Paul really embodied the gospel he preached well. And we really ought to do that, right? We we don't want to be proclaiming one thing. We don't want to be like that donkey, right, that God uses in spite of you. You know, I know you're a donkey, but I'm going to use you, right? We don't want to be uh, someone who is a hypocrite and we're, we're saying one thing and doing another. We want to embody the message that we preach as Christians. And perhaps no one embodied that message better than the Apostle Paul is what we've been talking about. You know, he really genuinely would pray. He would really genuinely love and serve others. But at the end of the day, even the Apostle Paul knew that that wasn't enough. I think a lot of times, maybe you've heard this saying. uh, It's an old proverbial saying. No one really knows who said it. But everybody seems to know it. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. If necessary, use words. I, I, don't, I, I don't really like that saying, because it gives this impression that your life is the gospel. That's all you need to do is live life, to live the gospel. And you, you'll hear people say stuff like that, like, like, I don't preach the gospel, I just live it. And don't get me wrong, it is good to, to live and embody your message, like, like I'm saying, but it cannot only be living it out. You must speak it in order for someone to be saved. You must speak it. How prideful is it if I were to say that the goodness of my life alone 
could lead someone to Christ. May it never may that never be. We don't I'm not preaching myself like look at me. Right? I'm preaching Christ. Michael Horton said it this way. He said, your life will never announce Jesus paid it all. Your life will not proclaim to people that the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. Your life will not proclaim that He was crucified for our sins and was raised for our justification. You can only proclaim that with words. And it's a surprising announcement. It's a memo that you have to read to people you have to announce it. That's why it's called gospel good news. So as we embark on this journey together through what is perhaps the greatest summary of the gospel message ever written, let's pray that this glorious gospel isn't studied in a selfish way, that we just internalize it and hope that we live it out. Let's pray that God gives us the confidence that we might not be ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God, that we might not be so focused on our own abilities, but that we might trust in the ability of God to take even our feeble, mumbling words and use them to save a life through this message. This letter to the Romans has a context in these verses. We see that it's not dry theology, but we see that the Apostle Paul soaked this message in prayer. He wrapped it in love, and he sent it with confidence in the power of God. Let's pray.